Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to Pathways to Energy Efficiency and AEEE Production. Uh, I'm Jayant Chaudhary, your host for the day. In today's episode, uh, I'm joined by Ms. Sangeeta Matthews. Sangeeta leads the Energy Data Services and State and Local Action team at AEEE. Uh, the team is responsible for publishing one of the flagship reports, the annual State Energy Efficiency Index. This report evaluates states on the energy efficiency efforts and achievements across all demand sectors and efforts to support states with energy efficiency policy formulation and implementation. Her work includes the development of energy data frameworks and increasing visibility and awareness of end-use energy consumption and super-efficient appliances aimed at coupling energy efficiency with distributed renewable energy to improve rural livelihoods. Welcome, Sangeeta. We are absolutely delighted to have you at the AEEE studios today. Uh, but before we start, I will request you to tell our audience about your journey and how your interest in climate and clean technology developed. Thank you, Jenta, for inviting me to this podcast. Um, so my journey in energy efficiency is quite interesting, actually. It was, in fact, a second career for me, or it is a second career for me. I started out my career in a very different sector, telecom and software technology, and I was in that for 20 years. But, you know, as in the course of that career, you know, there was, of course, talk in, uh, in the company through CSR programs to improve, uh, you know, not just uh, quality of life, but also some environmental projects. And so I got a little bit interested in that and tried to improve things in the workplace. And um, also very uh, influential in my decision was that my brother is actually uh, a PhD and a researcher in energy efficiency in building. So when I had visited his workplace at Lawrence Berkeley Lab in the US, you know, I was kind of a little motivated. And I said, you know, I think I'm going to make a switch. And so when there was an opportunity at AEEE, I just grabbed it, um, you know, started working first in standards and labelings for uh, appliances, and then moved on to the state energy efficiency index, uh, super efficient appliances, and now cold chain as well. And it has been a very interesting and rewarding journey so far. Thanks, Angita. I think it's been a fascinating journey over the years across the private sector and AEEE. Uh, so coming to our first question, um, the Energy Conservation Act empowers the Bureau of Energy Efficiency to formulate policies and programs at the national level and empowers the state-designated agencies or the SDAs to ensure implementation, compliance, and enforcement at the state level. Uh, so what has been the progress so far by the states to further the energy efficiency agenda in India in this context? Uh, well, um, states have, uh, to some extent, progressed in notifying policies and regulations. I mean, there is some positive progress in that. And for example, I can call out some obvious ones, such as, you know, 12 states have notified ECBC 2017 and have also incorporated it in their building bylaws. And this we have seen a gradual increase over the last few years. Um, about 10 states have, you know, financial incentives for energy efficiency implementation in one or more sectors like buildings, industries, agriculture. About nine states have, uh, you know, they mandate periodic energy audits uh, for energy intensive buildings and industries. And, um, you know, there are other measures also, for example, 26 states have time of day electricity tariffs for industrial and commercial consumers. And, you know, demand, manage, uh, demand side management cells um, have been constituted in DISCOMs in 34 states and union territories. 
Um, aside from this, you know, if you look at overarching policies um, across states and for all sectors in states, you know, I'd like to call out uh, Karnataka, which recently notified its um, energy conservation and energy efficiency policy for 2022 to 2027. And in fact, Maharashtra too had a similar policy in place for the period 2017 to 2022. And some states have, you know, taken a step forward in building institutional capacity. For example, both Andhra Pradesh and Kerala have autonomous standalone SDAs with their own budget. And, uh, you know, something I really appreciate in Andhra Pradesh is they have also constituted uh, energy conservation cells in each state department. So there has definitely been some progress over the years in the number of uh, states, you know, developing policies and regulation and enhancing capacity to advance energy efficiency. However, you know, uh, having said that, um, you know, states really could step up a lot more in terms of actually developing programs for on-ground implementation, you know, which really sort of advance and uh, increase the penetration of energy efficiency products and practices in all sectors of the economy. Because it is this that will um, sort of, you know, uh, really uh, reduce the state's energy intensity and the associated energy-related emissions intensity. And, you know, that's in a sense the essence of using energy efficiency as a resource for climate action. So, I mean, you know, to be fair to states, uh, you know, as for the EC Act, they are tasked with implementation, uh, compliance and enforcement, as you rightly called out. And we all know, of course, that's much more difficult than, you know, formulating policies and programs. And, uh, but nevertheless, you know, I think states uh, can and should tailor some national policies and programs that are already, already in place um, and that align to their state development goals as well. And of course, they can come up with their own programs as well. So let me just quickly, you know, highlight a few of these uh, programs, you know, the national programs that states have been very quick to adopt, for example. I think most people know it, but you know, definitely uh, ESL street lighting program has been taken up by most states. And in fact, quite a few states have expanded that using their own funds and programs. And you know, 21 states have signed up for uh, ESL's municipal energy efficiency program on water and sewage. And of course, the uh, well-spoken about Ujala program, and rightly so, has also been expanded by some states uh, using their own funds and their own programs, right? And of course, there have been financial incentives, et cetera. But, you know, overall, as I want to reiterate, uh, there is much, much more scope for energy efficiency program implementation. And additionally, you know, we really need to bridge this huge gap in assessing the effectiveness of state policies and programs. They need to be a lot more data-driven uh, programs and data-driven practices. You know, just to give an example, most states have not even set an energy saving target in most of the energy intensive sectors. And, you know, no state we have found has a comprehensive data driven method for monitoring and tracking these outcomes. Just a brief example, you know, I mentioned that 12 states have notified ECBC and incorporated it in their bylaws. Um, but, you know, few were able to provide data on actual penetration of ECBC buildings in new constructions. It's the same with incentive, you know, few can provide how many actually use those incentives to implement energy efficiency projects. Um, so in summary, uh, that's it. You know, there has been some progress in policies and regulations, um, but there really needs to be a step change 
in program implementation and tracking and monitoring the outcomes of these programs in terms of reducing energy intensity and the associated emission intensity in all demand sectors in the state. Thanks, very insightful, Sangeeta. Uh, probably just a follow-up question to this is, uh, would you like to highlight any specific challenges uh, faced by the states and SDAs uh, in their ramp-up effort in the energy efficiency space? Um, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> uh, there's no shortage of challenges, I suppose. Uh, but, you know, I think the biggest one, and it's not restricted to states and SDAs, is first and foremost, there is sort of a lack of importance or sort of a lack of recognition of energy efficiency being an enabler or a resource for both climate action and sustainable development. And that definitely, you know, that is sort of the biggest challenge, which then, uh, you know, results in some other challenges. I mean, especially when you compare it to the importance that renewable energy has received, for example, right? So that is definitely a challenge. And I think because of that, you often find that there is really insufficient and inadequate financial resources and budget and even institutional capacity uh, towards um, energy efficiency programs and actions. So that those really are the uh, main challenges. And I think, you know, this can only improve if you actually incorporate energy efficiency in development schemes in the same way that people have incorporated renewable energy, right? Whether it is providing uh, solar pumps for uh, farmers or whether it is providing, um, doing solarization of primary health centers. So in the same way, energy efficiency can be used as an enabler for both sustainable development and climate action. So I think those challenges, you know, the lack of importance, the lack of action plans, and the lack of adequate uh, financial resources and institutional capacity are the biggest challenges. Thanks, Angita. Um, so uh, the next question would be, you know, how does the energy efficiency landscape look for the different sectors, uh, you know, such as agriculture, buildings, industries, municipalities, and transport? And, uh, you know, what are some of the key initiatives taken by the states uh, to penetrate energy efficiency in these specific sectors? So in terms of the landscape, uh, there are, of course, many well-known programs and schemes ever since the notification of the EC Act, uh, which, you know, I, I don't mind repeating them here, but of course, they are extremely well-known. I mean, these are, of course, the Energy Conservation Building Code, you know, the CBC 2017 for buildings, then the Standards and Labeling Program, the Ujala Program, the PATH Scheme for Large Industries, uh, programs for MSME clusters, um, then, of course, ESL's programs on street lighting and water and sewerage in municipalities, and, of course, um, uh, the very uh, anticipated EV policies and FAME scheme, which have, of course, caught on very fast. I mean, these are just to name a few. And uh, mind you, uh, well before the EC Act, actually, PCRA, which is the Petroleum Conservation Research Association, uh, has been conducting programs on energy conservation in transport and uh, industry sectors, right? And I mean, of course, you know, SIDBI launched a partial risk-sharing financing scheme for energy efficiency projects. So they have been, uh, you know, the sort of the right, I would say, <laughs> good schemes and programs. But again, you know, what we need is sort of a sustained program implementation, you know, because it's only through the sustained program uh, implementation that you can uh, really achieve results in terms of the key metrics, I said, reduced energy intensity and reduced emission intensity in different sectors. 
And of course, this requires, you know, setting targets at state level, developing and implementing action plans. Uh, sorry if I'm repeating myself, but those are the important things. And of course, uh, you know, putting enough uh, financing and budgetary allocation and institutional capacity behind these action plans. And uh, of course, most importantly, monitoring these outcomes. But let's take, um, you know, let me walk you through a few things that states have done in different sectors. And I'll start with buildings because, of course, that is the furthest ahead and the easiest in a sense. And we have seen, you know, several states have, uh, you know, a good number of initiatives. You know, they've put several initiatives in place, such as, you know, property tax rebates or increased floor area ratio for green buildings and ECBC compliant buildings. Um, as I said earlier, states have, with their own funds and programs, expanded the Ujala program. Um, they've provided low-cost financing for projects in buildings. Um, there are energy conservation awards. So, and, you know, states that have typically performed better in the sector, those that have, you know, a basket of these initiatives, such as, you know, states like Andhra Pradesh, Haryana, Karnataka, Kerala, Maharashtra, Punjab, Rajasthan, and Telangana, and they typically come out strong in this. Um, but let me just highlight a few specific ones, and I would like to mention one in Telangana first, which, you know, way back in 2017 or 2018 itself had uh, developed a very strong um, institutional framework uh, to enable um, and enforce ECBC compliance. You know, I've, uh, we've listed this also in some of our reports, which is the Greater Hyderabad Municipal Corporation's citywide ECBC online compliance system. And this really helps streamline and modernize code compliance. You know, apart from capacity building and financing, you know, the moment you make a process for compliance easier, obviously the adoption is much faster. Um, another one on appliances is, you know, from the Energy Management Center Kerala. They have this online portal called Sevenam. Uh, for consumers to buy energy efficient appliances. And they've also started, uh, you know, putting uh, building materials on that portal. So you can buy some building materials, energy, energy efficiency from that at a reduced cost. And um, another one, which I think is really the way to go is from Andhra Pradesh, which, you know, they have uh, really uh, uh, sort of incorporated energy efficiency into an existing state scheme for affordable housing. And this is very important. You know, this is how you really in, uh, improve the implementation and adoption of energy efficiency. You incorporate it in existing or new development schemes. So in their affordable uh, housing scheme, they have incorporated energy efficiency with you know, support and technical support from the BEEP uh, project actually. And this is really crucial, you know, just as a very simple example, like having cool roofs uh, in housing, for example, it both provides thermal comfort for residents. So it is in fact a climate adaptation intervention because it keeps you cool. And it is also a climate mitigation intervention because it sort of reduces the demand for active cooling. You may still need active cooling sometimes, but it definitely reduces the demand for that. Um, let me move on to the industry sector. And I'll be frank, this is a tough sector. You know, I just feel state efforts in this have been significantly less, you know, and I can't really immediately come up with some highlights of best practices. Um, you know, there are the similar types of schemes like mandatory energy audits, or financing mechanisms, and uh, some states, you know, have uh, uh, taken up ESL's National Motor Replacement Program, but, you know, frankly, in industries, a lot more needs to be done uh, in the sector, really. Uh, tough sector, I agree, but a lot more needs to be done. 
And in um, municipal services, I'm just going through our key demand sectors that we focus on in municipal services, you know, looking primarily at street lighting and, um, uh, you know, energy efficient water and sewerage. Again, by and large, it is ESL's programs which have been adopted, which is good. And, you know, as I said, some states have expanded on these. And I do want to highlight again something from Telangana more uh, because of the data disclosure in it. And we keep talking about data-driven um, energy efficiency implementation or any project implementation for that matter. And what I really appreciate in this initiative in Telangana is the street lighting dashboard, um, which is really a good exercise in data disclosure because you know anybody can pull it up. And uh, we have the link in one of our reports, in fact. And it uh, indicates the energy savings and the associated emissions avoided. So I think that's a very good exercise in um, data disclosure because you show what's working. Um, similarly, Kerala has a sort of a state-driven program called uh, Nilava, which is to replace, you know, they've expanded ESL's program, basically to replace all uh, conventional street lights under all the local bodies with LED lights. And one that I particularly appreciate from Maharashtra is that, uh, you know, they had actually launched a scheme to, um, you know, promote ESCO model projects in street lighting and water pumping. So, I mean, you know, not only do they enable municipal energy efficiency, but they're also trying to promote ESCOs, which is a good thing. And, uh, you know, they've also done about 14 demonstration projects in various government departments. Um, very briefly, transport, you know, in state level, we look primarily at road transport, obviously, not aviation or railways. And here, actually, states have been very quick on the EV policy updates. You know, there are about 15 states that have either notified their EV policy uh, or have a draft one. And, you know, Karnataka and Maharashtra notified their policies as early as 2017 and 18. And, you know, most of these states have incentives for private vehicles, for, you know, commercial vehicles like taxis, autos commercial buses, they've tried to incorporate EVs in the, you know, public transport system. So that is um, strong. And again, here, uh, this is my pet subject, which is incorporating energy efficiency in state schemes. And this is why I want to call out Assam, um, because two initiatives in Assam, uh, because they have actually uh, incorporated the promotion of electric vehicles with a state education scheme and a state employment generation scheme. So, you know, Assam sort of provides free electric two-wheelers to uh, sort of meritorious deserving girl uh, students to promote the dual cause of sustainable uh, transportation and higher education among women. And I mean, instead of just giving a regular two-wheeler, they chose an electric two-wheeler. And uh, secondly, for um, unemployed youths, they have provided e-rickshaws uh, free of cost to operate as public transport. So this is classically, you know, incorporating a new technology, an efficient technology, a sustainable technology in a state development scheme. And I think in agriculture, till date, it's primarily been around energy efficient pumps and irrigation. What we would like to see is that as the cold chain is infrastructures develop, that states incorporate energy efficiency in it. So that's it about the main highlights on from states. Thanks, Angita. I think the example from Assam was really heartwarming. Uh, but with, you know, so much happening across states, uh, how can the progress made by them be mapped across the various energy demand sectors in India? So data, 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 that's it. <laughs> so the critical metric really in assessing progress uh, is the trend, uh, you know, the trend line annually, year over year on energy intensity uh, in the state as a whole and in 
different demand sectors and possibly in sub-sectors as well. And of course, the associated emission intensity, you know, energy-related emission intensity in these demand sectors in the state. And, you know, if you uh, first assess it, right, and look at what it is and, you know, try to benchmark with similar states, with similar economies, I mean, it will help at least as a start, help you set, set targets to reduce that intensity, you know, at the state, for the state as a whole and for demand sectors. And it will also help you annually measure progress in meeting these targets, you know, especially through sector-specific energy efficiency progress. So, I mean, definitely data and, you know, knowing where to start and knowing where you are is very important in, um, you know, mapping progress uh, made by states. Uh, but, of course, target setting is the first step, you know, uh, after that, you know, states obviously need to uh, develop policies and programs for energy efficiency, uh, you know, put in financing for that and the institutional capacity to really run these programs, enforce these policies. And finally, states need to track the outcome of these programs, uh, you know, sort of what is the uptake of, you know, energy efficient appliances or products or equipment or practices in different sectors. And uh, what are the associated um, you know, I don't want to say energy savings, but at least what's the associated reduction in energy intensity and emission intensity in those, right? Whether it's the residential sector, the commercial building sector, you know, transport or industries or even subsectors in industries. And um, so I would like, you know, so how do we measure these and how do we track these year on year? So I'd like to talk about the state energy uh, efficiency index over here. And, uh, you know, the state energy efficiency index really assesses uh, states' performance and progress in energy efficiency across uh, several demand sectors, namely buildings, industry, uh, municipalities, transport, uh, primarily road transport, as I mentioned earlier, agriculture, and also it assesses the performance in DISCOM, so basically in dis electricity distribution. And the index uh, was developed by the Bureau of Energy Efficiency and ATRIBI with guidance from NITI-IO. Um, additionally, the American Council for an Energy Efficient Economy, ACEEE, uh, which has published uh, 14 editions of the US state e-scorecard, has provided uh, technical support to ATRIBI in developing uh, the state energy efficiency index. And I'm very happy to say that, you know, we've been fairly consistent and, um, B and ACCC have launched three editions of the uh, index to date. The first was the State Energy Efficiency Preparedness Index for 2018, and then there was the State Energy Efficiency Index in 2019, and most recently the State Energy Efficiency Index 2020. So the importance of this annual exercise, or even later if it becomes a biennial exercise, it really helps states you know, track their progress in energy efficiency implementation and tracks the outcomes across these different demand sectors. And uh, that is, has in fact been vetted by SDAs themselves. You know, we conducted a survey of SDAs, uh, I think it was in July, 2021, after the second index, and this was conducted by B and ACCC. And 77% uh, of the SDAs said that uh, the index does indeed help them track the state's progress in energy efficiency. 72% um, said it helps them improve data collection on energy efficiency. And 45% uh, said it also helps them developing ideas for uh, energy efficiency interventions and uh, programs. So that's very briefly in a nutshell, uh, you know, on how we could measure progress and what we and ACCC together have done with for the State Energy Efficiency Index. Thanks, Angita. Um, 
So when next would be like, you know, can you please elaborate on uh, the state energy efficiency indexes, you know, the approach to evaluating state-wise performance for energy efficiency and, you know, what steps does this process include? So, you know, I've already gone through the objective of the state energy efficiency index, which is obviously to, you know, really drive energy efficiency implementation in states, help them track their progress, know where they are, and also uh, sort of learn best practices from each other. And uh, the steps, uh, you know, that we follow in this process are that there are broadly four phases for each index as we develop it and uh, publish it. Um, the first is, and very crucial, is the selection of performance indicators and also the uh, allocation, you know, performance indicators for each of these demand sectors and also an allocation of the a weightage to be given to each of these demand sectors in the overall score for the index. And uh, I'll come to the details on that. I would just like to briefly mention the steps first. The second is really, you know, uh, categorizing the states based on their uh, total final energy consumption. And uh, we do this so that when the results are out, this enables peer-to-peer -peer comparison among states. Um, for example, you know, we assign states to four different groups based on their total final energy consumption for the most recent year that we have all the information. And the states with the highest TFEC are in group one, and those with the lowest are in group four. And why this is important is so that when the results are out and you know the performance is out for each state, you know, for example, Maharashtra, which is a large state, which is a large TFEC, which is in group one, really compares itself with its peers of Gujarat and Tamil Nadu are also in group one, rather than with Mizoram, which is uh, in group four, for example. So it really enables a peer-to-peer -peer comparison rather than just having a you know, ranking one to 36 or whatever, which uh, we are not in favor of. Um, so that's a second phase really, you know, categorizing states. And then um, of course the big phases are data collection and validation and uh, data analysis and the scoring of the state's performance. Um, let me elaborate on the framework itself, uh, because that is uh, crucial to really understanding how the index works. Um, and so we, this really involves, you know, which sectors we choose, uh, which categories of indicators we use, and which performance indicators we use. And of course, what weightage uh, do we accord to each sector? So of course, as I mentioned, the sectors we assess um, are buildings, industry, municipalities, transport, I mean, primarily road transport, agriculture, and discounts. And we also assess some cross-sector initiatives. And, um, you know, the index has a maximum score of 100. And within this, the weightage assigned to different sectors is based on three things. One is, the first is the, uh, you know, the sectoral share of India's final energy consumption. You know, how much does industry consume, how much does buildings consume, et cetera. Uh, the energy saving potential in a sector and the state's role in promoting energy efficiency in different uh, sectors. And this is very important. Of course, most of these are concurrent subjects. So the state has the authority and the responsibility to promote energy efficiency. In it. But for example, we wouldn't look at aviation and railways, right? I was just mentioning uh, because that is a central subject in a sense. So, you know, building and industry sectors, which are the top two in energy consumption and in energy saving potential, and also, like I said, the concurrent subjects, they have, they're accorded the highest weightage. And this is followed by transport, agriculture, and um, discounts. Once we do that, of course, then the indicators for each sector fall into five categories. We assess the state's uh, 
progress on notifying policies and regulations. We assess the financing mechanisms available in the state and the budget they've accorded to that. We assess institutional capacity, as in, you know, does the state have the capacity for implementation, compliance, and enforcement as per the EC Act? And finally, the two, there are two categories of indi uh, indicators to measure outcomes. This is sort of the adoption or penetration of energy efficient products and practices and the realized uh, energy savings in terms of reduced energy intensity also. So, and we select indicators, we review with each index, we do, we look at the indicators and we select indicators based on their impact in driving energy efficiency implementation and outcomes in the states. Um, let me briefly touch upon the data piece, which of course in reality is the largest, the data collection. So we collect data primarily from state designated agencies. They are after all the nodal agency within states for energy efficiency. But in addition to that, uh, we and AEEE also collect data from central government agencies such as Central Electricity Authority, Niti Aayog, um, ESL, the Ministry of Road Transport and Highways, and some state departments, such as the State Transport Department, the regulatory, Electricity Regulatory Commission. And we also um, sort of collect data from industry associations, such as CII and um, certification bodies like IGBC, GBC, and Griha. So, you know, we only, um, we share the data that we collect, we review it with SDSNB, and we only use data that's vetted by SDSNB for the final analysis and scoring of each uh, state's performance. And um, the final stage, I just want to touch upon the uh, performance categories. States are categorized as front runner if they score more than 60 out of 100, achiever if they score between 50 and 60, and the third and fourth performance categories are contender and aspirant. Uh, so, Sungita, you mentioned that uh, the state energy efficiency index uh, you know, is available for 2018, 19, and 20. Uh, so can you just highlight uh, some of the key takeaways or learnings uh, from these surveys? Absolutely. And um, sorry if I do repeat myself, but of course, <laughs> these are important points. So, you know, I had mentioned earlier across all three indices, uh, we see that states have improved in notifying policies and regulations, no doubt, you know, they've improved their scores on that. And another positive point, uh, which is quite heartening, is that with each edition of the index, we have seen that uh, SDAs are sort of more motivated in sharing data on their programs and also in trying to collect data from state departments and DISCOMs. So that, in a sense, is building the capacity of SDAs. And so in that sense, states have improved their scores uh, in the 2020 index compared to 2019. Between 2018 and 19, there was no improvement uh, because we sort of made the 19 index more stringent than 18. So, But at least between 20 and 2019, there has been some uh, improvement. But nevertheless, our takeaways are really the first one is, you know, as I said earlier, to make a step change in the performance of states, right, they really need to develop um, these comprehensive and sustained energy efficiency action plans with well-defined targets um, and implementation pro uh, programs for each demand sector. Maybe they can start with the priority sectors in their states. And then, of course, they need to track the progr uh, progress and outcomes of these programs, um, specifically on reducing energy intensity and the associated emission intensity for each sector. And very importantly, uh, this came out as a challenge also, is that states really need to allocate adequate budget and financial resources and institutional capacity to 
sort of implement these plans. In fact, um, at the launch of the State Energy Efficiency Index uh, last year, the Minister of Power, Sri R.K. Singh, urged states to develop uh, these state energy efficiency action plans and set targets for energy savings in different sectors. Um, so on the positive side, it's good to see that states are already preparing these uh, plans under the guidance of B. So another one that I've touched upon with the examples from Andhra Pradesh and Assam is that, you know, um, states should really incorporate energy efficiency in their development programs and schemes, right? I mean, after all, if people are trying to, if you are trying to improve the quality of life of people through, you know, better housing and affordable appliances and better quality of life, you can do that with energy efficient, uh, you know, buildings and, uh, you know, appliances and equipment. So it's really about incorporating um, energy efficiency in development programs and schemes rather than having it as a standalone activity. And um, as I said, you know, this can start with constituting energy conservation cells in each state department as Andhra Pradesh has already done. And so, you know, just to call out an example, if there is a development scheme to increase access to drinking water or a scheme to build a cold chain infrastructure for agriculture, you can actually incorporate energy efficient technology and practices right from the get go. So that from day one, it is a, actually a low carbon infrastructure that you've installed in a sense. Um, the other thing I think is very important is, you know, there are a lot of private sector companies out there with whose USP is really energy efficient products and services. So SDAs should really collaborate with the private sector to learn, you know, what are the latest energy efficiency technologies? And, you know, how can we work together to, uh, enable the implementation of uh, financial, financially viable sort of projects, you know, through probably developing models for energy efficiency financing. And uh, finally, but not the least, you know, SDAs being the nodal agency for energy efficiency, I mean, they really should institutionalize um, the practice of end-use energy data analysis. Um, and this is very, very important to understand the energy consumption profile in different uh, subsectors, um, you know, demand sectors and the subsectors, and which will then enable you to sort of develop programs and monitor outcomes and progress in these sectors. Um, so, and this, you know, periodic data-driven practice is absolutely essential if you want to move the needle on using uh, energy efficiency as a resource for climate action. So, Samgita, as we uh, wrap up this conversation, um, any parting thoughts or, you know, what's the one thing you would love for the audience to remember after they finish, uh, you know, listening to today's episode? So, my, my big takeaway and what I urge the audience to keep in mind is that energy efficiency is as much an enabler for climate action and sustainable development as renewable energy. And I've shared several examples where, you know, states have started, you know, few states have uh, incorporated energy efficiency in development schemes. So, I mean, both are equally important. I would say, you know, energy efficiency and renewable energy are like roti and dal. They go together if you really want to move the needle on both sustainable development and climate action. Thank you so much, Sangeeta. It's been an absolute pleasure having you, uh, you know, with us today on our podcast. And for all of you who are there with us, uh, we hope you enjoyed the same. And be sure to subscribe and engage with us on social media. So until next time, take care and be safe.